This is Islanders Forecheck, a bonus series of the Hockey Press Pass podcast brought to you by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, Long Island. And I'm really proud, happy, pleased to be able to catch up today uh, with former Islanders forward and fan favorite Rob Shrimp, a first-round pick in the 2004 NHL Draft, leading scorer in the Ontario Hockey League, twice a member of Team USA at the World Junior Championships, uh, and I know he's going to have a lot of great analysis and and also stories to tell. Rob, nice to see you, buddy. Hey, it's great to see you again. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's, it's it's great to be here with you tonight. And again, like I said, it's great to see you. It's been it seems like it's been a long time since we we've been on a, on a call together or even seen each other. So it's, I'm excited to get on here and, and chat with you and talk some hockey. Thanks, Rob. For starters, though, just tell us. So you're over in Europe. Can you tell the fans and and myself some more specifics as to what you're up to? Yeah, I'm working with mentoring some players and kind of advising some players over here. I got a couple of kids from Slovenia, one kid, uh, Gregor Posler, and uh, another kid, Tarek uh, Mukamic. So I come, I've been mentoring these kids and kind of and uh, they have a national team event next week. So I flew down to give them a little pre-prep before that tournament so they can kind of put their best foot forward. And that's sort of the lane I've moved into these days and, and been doing stuff with video work with players and uh, it's just some mentorship stuff. So it's been a lot of fun and it's been really gratifying to give back to players in this kind of role. And, um, you know, I really like it a lot. It's something I've, I've really hit my stride with. And I get, again, I get a lot of gratification out of that showing these kids some, you know, different views of the game and different thoughts and, and then watching it kind of be put into place. It's, it's a lot of fun to see. Do you use your experience at all levels, junior national team, the NHL, or do you, you, you mostly impart your wisdom based on where they are currently in their careers? A lot of, of all of it, right? Because, you know, my career kind of took a, a lot of different paths. So having a chance to play at all the top leagues in the world as far as pro and then coming up to the junior ranks. So it's, it's seen, a, I've seen a lot. So it's, I can pull from a lot of uh, experience and a lot of instances where different stuff, right? Like these kids are playing U20 uh, in Europe. It's European ice, European hockey. So I played that game at the highest levels in those leagues. So something along those lines and, and trying to help them with this, you know, the small things of the game. They're both very talented players. So if I can help them not get into some of the habits that maybe I had to take a little while to crack, um, you know, that's the idea. It's just kind of give them that information of what's going to work. And, you know, when they're, when you're a young player, you get away with some stuff, right? So it's, it's kind of like also helping them see that stuff is like, Hey, this isn't going to work the next level. And, and, uh, you know, it's not coming from a hypothetical view. It's coming from an experienced view and, and knowing these leagues. So yeah, it's kind of pulling from all of my experience and trying to give them the best path possible, take as many hurdles away for them as, as I can, and hopefully make it a smooth ride for them. I love to talk to former Islanders about the current team and about current players. And there are two uh, current Islanders, both highly talented players, great players that, that are particularly relevant for a conversation. And the first one is, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about Matthew Barzal and his ability to do what he does at, at such a high pace. He's electric, you know, he's, he's at the high level. He's up there with, you know, he's in the same kind of, in my opinion, same level as, you know, the McKinnons, um, you know, these high level players, um, you know, even the same kind of conversation, McDavid electric with the puck has great footwork, great edge work. Um, I think he's so much fun to watch. Um, I'd say the thing is a little bit different with these other teams. They have some of those other high end guys to support him and help him, you know, support that effort. Sometimes, you know, Matt's kind of buzzing around the offensive zone. He's on, it's like a one man thing. So um, 
but he's electric. He's an amazing player, an amazing talent. And I love watching him play every time he's on the ice. He's, he's fun to watch. He, he creates stuff and he creates room for other players as well as for himself. He's one of the guys that can do that in the league. He can hang on to the puck for 10, 15, 20 seconds sometimes and, and keep continuing on the play. And, uh, you know, I think, again, I think he's, he's a special talent. He's, he's an amazing player. He doesn't always have fixed line mates. Lee's been there. I think Bailey was there in their most recent game against Seattle, if I recall. It was such a it was a terrible game. A uh, bad way to end the uh, to go into the All Star break. Do you have advice for line mates of somebody like him who does what he does? Uh, is it to get caught not puck watching? Is it as simple as getting to the net, being stationary, moving well without the puck? I have no idea. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah, I think it's it's important when you have a high level player like that. It's important as a line mate to kind f- of study his game and find his patterns, see what his tendencies are, and then off of that you start reading in to where the space is. And then you know the powerful thing, and I'm kind of in the lane now right now is using video. Video is huge. It's a great piece. It's a great thing to study, and it gives you a lot of intel. You know, and you see it now on the bench. The NHL, these guys have iPads on the bench in between periods. I mean, that's. That's how fast things are getting there. So to go back to that, I think it's important for a line mate if you want to have success off a guy like that. You know, it's about studying that guy's patterns and seeing what the reaction to his patterns are, what the defending players do off of that. Now you start to think of like, okay, where can I go? Instead of going to where you want to go and you think, you know, you played your whole life maybe. Again, when you get a player like Matt, I think it's important to kind of, again, play off him and support what he does because he's got the ability to carry the load for, again, 10, 15 seconds. It's a lot of time and that's drawing a lot of coverage. So there's going to be holes. It's just a matter of you as a lineman figuring out your timing to that and playing off of those patterns. Um, maybe that's a little vague, but I think that's what I would be doing if I'm playing with a guy like that. And I would take away the part of me that it might, if it was me personally, I'd be like, I used to like to carry the puck. So if I see a guy that can do that, has that ability, I'm going to start being the shooter. I'm going to start, start finding these pockets of space on the ice when Matt brings two guys to him, sometimes maybe three hitting that hole at the right time. Now, when when he hits that spot and he draws two guys and three guys to coverage, if I'm standing in front of the net, just playing net front, I'm not helping. I'm not supporting that guy. The hole is more in the middle of the ice, not at the net front. So, you know, kind of kicking around and, and that's, that would be my philosophy. Um, not to say that that's perfect or right, but that's what I would be thinking. And, you know, I think that's what he needs is that, that kind of player who's finding those holes and, and getting into the spots with the right time. Is there a next level for Matt? Um, you know, I don't even look at the points too much, but is he's really just hitting the prime of his career. The team will have him for a while. He should be a fixture here. He He's a rare player that sells tickets. I go to watch him play. Sometimes I'll pick the team that they're playing against because I think it's it'd be fun to watch him and McDavid or him against everybody on the Panthers these days. Um, yeah. Did, is there a, is it, you know, is it possible that there's a, another gear, another level for his continued maturation as an NHL starter? Um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I think he pushes the envelope every, every night. I, in my opinion, from what I see and when I watch him, he's, he's always got that energy and he's driving the game and he's picking it up. So there's, you know, I think there's going to be a breakout season for him where he hits that. I think it's going to take that though. It's going to take a couple, maybe one. Sometimes you don't need it two linemates. Sometimes you just have that chemistry with one guy. And if I could think it'd be, you know, like Johnny Tavares and Matt Molson, they had the chemistry and they figured each other out. Molson picked up 30 goals plus, you know, and he figured out how to play off of that linemate. And it just needed one linemate. Um, 
you know, I can speak back to my experiences. I'd say my rookie year in the AHL, I really struggled, had a hard time because we were, we were more of a grinder team. We were really good at it. We were first, second place all year, but it wasn't, I had a hard time finding that groove because I wasn't a crash and banger. We traded for Robert Nielsen with the Oilers. And as soon as he came down, I had one line and we torched it like a point of game, point of game plus for the last 30 plus games. So sometimes it just takes that one little thing that clicks um, for a guy like Matt. Again, it's, having someone that they have that super chemistry together playing off each other. And then, you know, the kind of the way he plays the game, I think say the sky's the limit, so to speak, as far as point production and having that big year. So I know he's just kind of down now he's around, what is it like eight points or maybe 10 points under a point per game. So um, with his ability and talent, that kind of tells me that he doesn't have that chemistry right now with, with a specific guy. So I, that's my again my take on it. Not to say that that's perfect, but that's what I see. In, right, in we being... want your take on it. That's why. That's why I called for you, and it means <laughs> a lot. You've been there. You've done this. I'm hearing you speak, and I'm thinking uh, when you're ready, when when it when you want to, uh, you should wind up working for an NHL team. It doesn't necessarily have to be a specific role behind events. It, it, it could be how to how to Rob Trem can help you help solve this problem. Uh, or fix this or make this better. So uh, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, clar- uh, put an asterisk next to everything saying it's just your opinion. <laughs> you played the game, you led the OHL in scoring, you, you, you know what you've done. Um, and we're going to talk about that hopefully uh, later on in the show. When you were gracious enough to say, yeah, I'll come on from Slovenia to, to talk to you. It, it, it coincided with a time at the Islanders where I was like, oh, wow, boy, it would really be great to talk to Sharampi because Oliver Wallstrom, first round pick of the Islanders, has 10 goals, sometimes limited ice time. There's a thing with him and Barry Trotz. And I want I got to be fair to everybody, including Trotz, that Trotz has not been uh, he's not been a tyrant about it, but it's clear that he's tweaking he's nudging he will go he he'll he was asked about him scoring a goal the other day and he said it was a good goal and oliver's a goal scorer and that was a great play and then say like the kind of thing that a coach normally doesn't say after that which was but you know to be honest i didn't love parts of his game tonight and by the way 16 other guys on the team well especially against seattle on wednesday night you could have said that about but I get it. You're not going to single out everybody. So Wallstrom's going through a thing. It's a great, whether you want to call it a soap opera, it's just, a, it's a, I, it's a fun thing of sports to see a player try to develop, take the next step. He's still really young. I believe he's 20, 21. And this senior coach try to work with him. I don't know if you're following this closely, but as somebody who's been there, also seen it happen with teammates, your thoughts on, what becomes spills out a little bit into a public thing where the development is not just staying at what Barry's saying to him at practice, but that he's sharing these things about how he'd like to see Wallstrom get better. Meanwhile, he's, you know, got 10 goals and and could have 20 if he was playing all the time. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, some of these, sometimes coaches do this, it's a tactic to get to the player and, and sort of push and, you know, it's not the old school ways of, you know, verbal, verbal whipping players, you know, that's that those days are gone. Right. And this, this could be, I'm only guessing cause I'm not there. So it could be something along the lines of that. 
of just trying to give him a nudge to know that he's not happy. Um, I, I mean, what I would say from from being in that experience and having an, an experience kind of similar where a coach w- wasn't technically happy with how I played, but also didn't have any inter, you know meetings with me or like sessions to say, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. I hate when you do this. Why do you do this? Like, tell, just tell me why you do it. Because, you know, if the coach would ask that, I would have had an answer. Why well, see this, this, this? And that's what I'm trying to get to. And maybe along the way of the chain of that, I'm doing something that really bothers you. If, if, if you can tell me where to fix that, I can fix that. I, you know, I can work with that and try to, you know, for me personally, if you gave me the framework of what's acceptable, I'll work inside and I'll draw a painting inside of that frame. If it's just a big wall and I'm trying to make a painting and then you're like, nope, not that line. Nope, not that line. Like it's confusing. So again, I can't speak to what's going on there because I'm not there, but I'm just telling from experience. It's more of like, if you give that player the frame, these are the, this is where I want you to stay inside of. I think that allows uh, more kind of that player can make calculations, decisions. It's a fast game and it's a really good league. So to, to be able to kind of organize it a little bit better or have, you know, those do's and don'ts for the player. I think that's helpful. Again, I don't know if that is happening, but I can, again, from experience, that would be helpful. Just a framework, be creative, don't go outside these borders. And then the player might kind of come around to, to kind of cutting those things out that the coach doesn't like. Not sure what it would be. Um, and, you know, it might be another case where, you know, there's not a lot of offense being created there. Sometimes it's as a player, you're trying to do that for the team. And it, come, it can backfire and it might be counterproductive. So, again, I think the conversation of, with the player is like, hey, what do you see? Let's hear what your thought. What do you see exactly? And then they can absorb that information and the coach say, OK, well, again, that drives me nuts when you do this, because look what happens. And if the coach and I think Barry's a very good coach and he's a very smart guy and done very well, he can tell the player, like, watch when you do this one thing. Watch the domino effect. I hear you that you think you're trying to create, but you're domino affecting and it's causing a problem for three other guys on our team in that line. You got to like, what do you want me to say? I got to tell those other three guys that Wally's going to do whatever he wants and you guys just got to figure it out. You got to have chemistry. You got to be working in, in kind of a, you know, in sync. So the, you know, the things that you're trying to create have to be beneficial. And some things can be, you know, when there's guys on your team that are better than you, you you're like, Nick, go do whatever you want to do. I'll cover you. Right. And you have that, you understand that of each other. So these high end players, like Barzell, do what you got to do. We'll figure it, we'll cover you. But it's kind of got to be communicated and we have to have an understanding as, that, as a team. So when we're on the ice, it's not confusion. Again, so that one thing that you think you're trying to create, it's creating a domino effect negatively to, to other guys. We're going to cancel as much of that as we can. You know, it's so I, I, I'm definitely going to give the coaches the benefit of the doubt that they are having those sessions with him. But what's really interesting hearing you talk, Rob, is it hits me so in this COVID era with um, press conferences, uh, some teams have started to open the doors and they closed again, but the Islanders have stuck to, they're only doing Zoom interviews. So like the game ends last night, they bring out two players, then they bring out two more players, and then Barry Trotz comes out and it's very regimented. The other 15 guys, they don't, there's no scrums in the locker room, there's nothing else. And because of that, there are players who you don't hear from. And there aren't those informal conversations where the beat writer from Newsday or the Athletic would go after a practice and say, hey, Oliver, you can you know, a little one-on-one. So, like, we don't really know we would if this wasn't going on. 
for all we know, Wallstrom's like, I get it. Barry's tweaking me. We're good. But, and, and it, I'd have to like triple check this and Lou, you could fact check me on this too, but uh, our producer, Lou Pellegrino, but I don't, you know, there hasn't been a, a story where Wallstrom's like, we're, yeah, me and Barry are a thousand percent good and he, we work on things and he's right or we debate. So we actually, <laughs> we don't know. And that would help, right? So in, maybe yeah. the Islanders should address that and make Wallstrom available uh, soon when they come back from the All-Star break. What would be, you know, and like you say, you don't know exactly what's going on, but for a player who is kind of going through this phase of his career where he, one thing we know for sure is he's not 100% earned his coach's trust. His minutes come down. He's not playing in certain key spots. He's been scratched. So is Keeper Bellows. But what would be what would be your advice to players who are, you know, offensively skilled players who are going through this phase of their career? I think it's important um, the communication directly to the coach. You go directly to the problem, um, to the issue, not the problem, the issue, and address it and, and then have that conversation because then you get your you get your information. Um, and it's on you to, you know, either care and, and address and, and change. Or if you want to stay stubborn, I don't think it's a great idea to go against the coach. You know, you got to work together. And that's a new NHL and it's a new area. So you see a lot of young guys really having big success and, and having big points and making a lot of money, which is enticing to a lot of people. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other factors. But I think at the end of the day, when you do things properly, you again, you have issues like this. And if you address it, work together, fix it, I think it'll be overall happier. There's not as much guessing. And I think it's a good way to think about it overall in life too. Once you get out of hockey, this isn't just hockey. It's also in life too, right? Like you can't just let things linger, not address it and have that awkwardness and, and confusion. The figure, the quicker you get to figuring it out and get on the same page, it's, it's a lot more fun to do things together than it would be to have success and be like, cause screw you, Barry, I was right. It's not how you, you know, it'd be better to be like, Oh man, he was right about it. And, and I was right about it. We were right. So now we respect each other and get on that same level. Again, I don't know the scenario. So I'm only mm -hmm. kind of using um, what I think would be solutions to what's going on, but that's the thing. And, and again, doing video sessions and, and communication and it's just kind of addressing it right out of the gate. So then it can be a thing of trust, you know, next, next, you know, when you get that trust, you get in these spots where I've, I've been there too. So tight game or it's a defensive zone draw and you get skipped over. It's kind of like, I, you want that as a player, you want that trust. You want the coach to have not even a flinch in his eye or flinch in his decision to be like, Wally, you're up, get out there, go get me the draw, whatever. Wally, get this out for me. You know, that feels good to earn that going from a coach saying in a presser, like, hey, you know, I didn't really like it to like, what a big play by Wally in the third period with five minutes left, but you know, something along the lines of that. It feels almost as gratifying as, big goals, you know, and big plays in, in the sense of point production. So uh, once the coach starts speaking that about you, you know that he sees it in the team also. There's 19 other guys that get that and understand that. They probably watched you get benched too, right? And now that you're getting that chance, you succeed in that opportunity. Everybody feels good about it. It's a, it's a win-win, so. Great insights from Rob Shrimp. We're going to go on and talk more about his time in the NHL, specifically on the Islanders and, and in other places, and probably come back to that in some ways, but just have a quick read for our sponsor for Islanders 4Check, 
So did you spend much time in Huntington, Long Island when you were when you were there? I did. I did spend some time there. One year I spent a, about a month and a half there. It was beautiful. What a spot. Awesome. I didn't really know about it until my, yeah, obviously my first year, I was there two years. My second year in the summer, I came early there. I met with a nice. friend of mine. It was beautiful. Main Street Board Game Cafe is in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, they have it all. So you get it, Trumpy. It's like a, it's like not do the computer game thing, but go to a place, have a drink, and play board games like they did back when I was a kid. <laughs> get, get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join their Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. Mike, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 307 Main Street in Huntington used to be an establishment that I went to, and then maybe when you went to, it had a different name, a, a bar or something along those lines would be my guess. So, but we thank, we thank their, their partnership. Um, when you look back on your hundred plus games with the Islanders in two seasons, just as a big picture, looking back about a decade later, what do you remember about it? And, and how do you look back on it? Fondly bothered, you know, what, you say no regrets, but what about your time on the island? Yeah, you know, it's, it was uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of feeling to that it, um, on both sides of the spectrum. And for me, the biggest part was the I had a lot of gratitude and a lot of appreciation for them picking me up on waivers and get, finally given a chance to play in the NHL. You know, going into before that, I didn't. I played I played seven games and I never really knew what it was like to play being an NHL player, so to speak, on a daily basis and being there practice every day, traveling with the team and, and that sort of thing, you know. 82 games of a season. So no, I was really, really excited about that. And I, and I don't know if you remember or not, when I first got there, I, I, did, I didn't get to come and jump right in. I had to wait and earn it. You know, I, I first couple games, I got picked up off waivers. I played like four or five games on the wing and it, it didn't go that well. And um, you basically was just, it, I was told not basically that you got to wait for your chance. until someone gets either injured or plays himself out of lineup. So it wasn't smooth sailing right out of the gate, but I still had that appreciation to just be there not worry about getting called up and down and sent down or whatever. Um, so once I kind of got in the lineup, it was a lot of excitement and I really enjoyed it. And, um, it was so much fun getting, even just not, I didn't even play for, I sat out for like 15, maybe 20 games, but getting there to practice every day, I could find my game getting better, being in the NHL, practicing NHL guys every day, shooting on NHL goalies. Uh, when Ricky was kind of coming back, me and Jeff, Jeff Tamalini and myself would go out there and do goalie practices and stuff like that. So these little things were, I, I loved it and it was great. It was, I was sad to see, you know, have to get moved. Um, understood the part of it where I was really kind of not a priority and there was young guys kind of coming in. So it's, it made sense with the numbers and who would move and who could be moved. So it was, it sucked because I enjoyed it. It was, it was great being close to home. My family got to come to a lot of games and being in New York state. And again, I, I liked it there and I really enjoyed my time. So it was tough to watch it come to an end, but the time that I spent there, guys like Mark strike, Kyle Poso, you know, we had a blast. Neil on your scene, and we used to play pong after ping pong after the game or after practice every day for two, three hours. You know, Andy Sutton, 
there were so many great guys. The locker room was always great there, and it seems to still be the case uh, with the character guys that are in there. So I, I loved it. We had a bunch of fun. Dougie Wade, I mean, playing with a legend like Dougie was amazing um, to get to learn from him and see what kind of guy he was. So I, I really enjoyed my time there. I wish it lasted longer. Um, and, you know, I got a, I had a couple injuries, which were unfortunate. So some things that didn't match up. And for me, one thing that was a little bit frustrating was not get, not getting extended in the sense of my time there, you know, because my one coach told me, he's like, listen, if you put together one good month in the NHL, a really good month, that, that'll buy you three, five years. And I felt like I did that. And I played pretty well as far as what I was given to, to what I produced, you know, and it didn't really – it's just the way she goes, you know, that's the way, that's the way it goes. It's a tough league to stay in. And everybody says that it's hard to get there. It's even harder to stay. So uh, I felt like I produced in my time and I'm proud of that of stepping up and playing. Cause I, you know, I've kind of filled in like a third line player and Blake Como and myself and we played pretty well and, and did well supporting kind of being point support or goal support for the Islanders those two years. And, you know, the first two lines were, were set and we were sort of that second wave or third wave of offense and, got a good chance to become a shootout specialist, which was kind of random because I never was before. I never, in the way that I play, and I think you got to watch me enough, Chris, I'm not really a breakaway specialist. I don't have breakaway speed. So I never really had a ton of breakaways. And I got thrown into that role in Long Island, right? I mean, there was, talking about Wally, there was games in Long Island where we played a lot of tight games and I wasn't a defensive specialist. I mean, think about how many games over my two years, I, I, I ended up shooting and I think I wound up shooting in around around 20 shootouts, right? And those, mm -hmm. a lot of those shootouts, I wouldn't play from like halfway through the second period to the rest of the game. And then I'd go like first or second in the shootout. So, you know, I mean, you had to get your hands back together in three seconds going on. I remember one of the first times, it was so embarrassing. I didn't play for like the last half of the game and then overtime. And then the Zambonis used to come out. And the coach was like, Trippy, go get warm. <laughs> so I had a good laugh. And the Zamboni came out so I could warm back up so I could go in the shootout. Uh, it was priceless. I was like, whatever, you know, I'll That's do it. Amazing. It doesn't matter. Was the baseball swing goal, uh, which I, I, I know has resurfaced recently. Uh, I think Billy Jaffe was on the call with that, with probably Howie. Uh, like when did that, you know, almost like open up more things for you. It was such a big moment. What do you remember about that? Yeah, that was the time when I was fighting to get in the lineup, stay in the lineup. And, and so it's really when I started to hit my stride. You know, I got my first goal against Boston. And I, you know, that gave me a lot of confidence, even though it was kind of a, the last way that I dreamed up when we scored my first NHL goal from behind the goal line. But you take it where you can get it. Um, that goal in Colorado, again, it kind of helped me solidify my spot in the lineup and, and choke. You know, it was a it was a moment, but I also had another I had another goal in that game and I had it post, so I almost had a chance that I had it was really starting to buzz. And that goal kind of I guess it showed like my confidence was rising, you know, the fact that I felt comfortable to do that and pull I pulled it off. Even if I didn't pull it off, I wasn't scared of that. But if I think that was a moment when my confidence was rising at that level and it was again solidifying my spot in the lineup and making it tough to take me out. And that's the thing that's when you're in that kind of position that I was in, you have to, that's what you have to do. You have to make it hard for them to take you out. And that was, uh, that goal was awesome because there's a lot to it too. Like Craig Anderson was the goalie and I skated with Craig Anderson since I was like 15 years old in Chicago and every summer. And, and Andy's an unbelievable goalie. He's one of those goalies that's 
super smart. He knows the angles. He knows the trajectories of the, of the shooters very well. So when you're shooting on him all summer long, this guy like steals your confidence. You know what I mean? You're never scoring on him. And he's some, a lot of times he just comes out a little bit, takes the angle and he doesn't even go down. You're like, and it drives you nuts. Right. Love the guy to death, but like, I remember that. So scoring that kind of goal on him was kind of like, yes, <laughs> like all those years. And now I get this moment on you. Uh, we're even, you know, but it was, it was pretty cool. And then, you know, I remember also the ref called the goal off. I was right in the middle of just giving a hell of a celebration. I remember hearing no goal. And I was kind of like, you're killing me, man. Like, <laughs> you're killing me. That was, and I knew it was a goal. I 100% knew it was a goal. I felt it. I remember watching it and waiting for it to just get low enough. And then as soon as it got to a spot, I hit it. I just remember it's like time sat still. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. And as soon as I made contact with it, I was like, oh, that was perfect. And then I went back bar. And I remember Andy just sitting there with his like down on one knee with his glove like this. <laughs> like, uh, so it was exciting, but it was cool to score a goal at like that magnitude and, and that sort of league, you know, top level league. Unlike some of the things that you might have, uh, well, we know you practice like the lacrosse and the, some of the fun stuff. Was that, had you, other than hand eye coordination, was that something you had ever like actually worked on? The, 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 the baseball goal? <laughs> Yeah, no, I do this. I kind of do this stuff a lot. It's part of my warm up, part of my ritual. Just like hit the puck up, some lacrosse stuff, some stuff hitting it and batting pucks out of the air. And I do that stuff kind of constantly, kind of working on hand eye coordination. And but obviously, to that, you know, set up to that exact setup, it was just a perfect rebound. You know, Franz walked off and took a, ripped a hard slap shot, and the rebound hit perfectly. And it was just kind of that thing just sounded like it was like in the air for seemed like forever. I'm like, watch, I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. You know, the so the moment couldn't be set up any better, really. Say in the episode uh, before this, interviewed Bruno Gervais, your friend, and I didn't know what to expect, but I asked him about you and 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 uh, what he thinks about your time on the island in the AHL and your career and how it, it's be, your name comes up more and more now every time Trevor Zegras makes a great play or other, and it's just it's nice to see. And the, the term that the phrase that Bruno used, extremely flattering, three, uh, four minute detailed, specific answer about you was uh, that you are ahead of your time, that it's very possible that, you know, you were born 10 years too early because coaches, the culture, hockey, they're uh, maybe starting to understand more about how to deal, deal, how to work with high skilled players. Would you uh, obviously nice, very nice thing for him to say, but yeah. you think about that now too. Uh, that's first of all, Bruno's the man. Bruno's one of the most amazing teammates I ever played with. He was such a good guy uh, as far as a teammate and the way that he showed up, played through everything. That's the type of guy that you want on, on a championship team, on any team, really. He's such a good guy for Lockham. I appreciate his comments and I, I loved him and Mel. They were awesome. We had a really good time with them on the island. So, uh, first and foremost there, but yeah, you know, it's with that part with that question, it's definitely, you see it start to come about and you know, you know I kind of answer that question. Sometimes it's my last year of junior. I know it's junior and everyone say cut the cord, but like the last year of junior was the, the first year where the rules changed. And I kind of showed what you could do as a high end skill guy with the rules. And it took about 10 years for the NHL to sort of evolve and sort of, yeah, I guess you know, evolve and, and change into the rules. The old rules finally washed and all the skill came to the top. And now you see it. And now you're seeing stuff, you know, guys with two points a game on two points a game pace. We haven't seen that in years, really. 
on the scale that we do now. I mean, there's there's a bunch of guys. There's a bunch of guys on hot point strength, six, seven games, or get 14, 16 points. So for me, that's that's kind of what I showed in 2005 and six in London. And that's that's what I, you know, I think with the new rules, what you can do with them, power plays and no more hooking and, and being a skilled guy, not have to worry about these things. So um, I, I enjoy seeing it come to light now. It's just, it is a little bit kind of like, that's the way I saw the game 10, I mean, 15 years ago. It's how I saw the game. Even inside the rough and tough stuff, you still, I still saw an ability to use the space differently. It didn't have to be crash and banging all the time and rough and tough. Like that was part of it, but like, there's still inside of this shape of the rink, there's these areas that you can create. And there's, you know, it's not just about hot dogging because that's what it got pegged as when I was doing it was that I was a showboat or hot dogging, but you know, at the end of the day, who pays the tickets and who pays for the salaries? It's entertainment. So part of it is objective in the way that I saw the game, but also that there was a part of it where it was showboating, but that was the old school mentality. It's like get in line and kind of don't stick out, but you see the difference in discrepancies with, as far as the pays between NBA and NHL, like that's the thing. They're much more marketable and they're much more, and you know, the individual talent kind of comes out a little bit more. So I guess this is a long answer long, <laughs> I would say I was ahead. I just saw it differently. And I, you know, it's not to say that I would choose being a showboat over winning games. I I've, I'm more passionate about winning than anybody. I'm super competitive and, you know, winning a championship in London, I, I want to do it again in pro. I never got a chance to, but if you check my playoff stats, they always are there. And I always came to, when the dance was there, I was, I came to dance. And so that kind of speaks to what kind of player I was as well. So it wasn't so much that I wanted to just be a Harlem Globetrotter, um, but I could do that inside of a building. And if you talk to London Knights fans, like that's where I got my chance to be the freest and I got a chance to perform for them. And, you know, I performed and that's, but that's something as an athlete you want to, that's makes it a lot of fun for both you and fan. And then when you're winning games as an organization, it's even more fun. So there's a lot of energy and I don't know. I see it. I see it that way. And when you were with the London Knights, I'm pretty sure I know, but is Dale Hunter the head coach? Yeah. Hunty was the coach. Yeah. So now you would think, I think the average NHL observer would think the guy who has a showboaty reputation you would think that almost like if you would pick somebody who would be really not good for that, it would be a perception of Dale who famously once uh, ripped off a shoulder of Pierre Turgeon in the playoffs yes. was no Al Arbor has said that he could privately Al told people he'd take Dale Hunter on his team every day of the week. Um, so it's kind of the highest praise going, right? So, but it was Dale who gave you that, ability to be you well yes or, no. did, or did you have to work things out with him over time i had to work things out with dale you know like my first year there i got i got benched quite a bit not quite a bit but in some key moments and dale was a tough guy in old school so so to speak when in those times so we i wouldn't say we got off right away like the <laughs> the first game i got there when i got traded there i remember the play distinctly I was coming up from the offensive zone, coming up the right side wall and the nets on my left side. And there was a D man, our D man waiting. And he kept looking at me and I told him, I'm like, go. So he, he finally drove back door and I backhand sauce passed a puck over everybody's head and landed it right on this guy's tape back door. 
it was a sick play. It was like 12 feet, 12 feet in the air, sauce pass, land away in the guy's back door. And I remember getting bench. He's like, you don't do that shit here. <laughs> Excuse my language. Okay. Um, so that was kind of the, you know, the introduction. So um, from there, it was a matter of us kind of, you know, understanding again, understanding each other, understanding where the boundaries were and what the framework was. Um, so I had to learn that. And then my last year, so the, the next year we won the Memorial Cup. We had an unbelievable team. And uh, I really learned how to play inside Dallas, what he liked and what he didn't like. You know, in the, in the Mem Cup year, I remember there was one time, uh, middle of the year, I had 29 goals. And I got a, we were up like a big number and I got a puck like from the corner, right in the middle of the ice, right in the slot all by myself. And I picked it up. I like didn't pick it up. I uh, flipped it up in the air and tried to bat it out and score. And, you know, I thought he was going to be pissed, but I, I figured we we're up by six. Like, let's give the fans a little bit something. And really all he said to me the next day, he didn't come to me on the bench. He came in the next day. He goes, Trippy, I'm just going to say one thing. He's like, do you want to be a 30 goal scorer or a 29 goal scorer? No, I want to be a three goals. What do you think about last night when when you got a chance to score your thirtieth goal and you want to you want to be a showboat? What do you think about that? And I said I, I hear you, but I said Dale, if I would have scored that, would have been pretty sick. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, never mind, you know, get out of here. So we you know, we had a back and forth. And then my last year, you know, I got to a level at that level that nobody was going to stop me from doing it. Not not in the sense of like I'm not listening to anybody, but my play spoke so well for itself that I nobody was going to stop me. Like I was on a mission to tear that league up. And I, when I got back from the Edmonton Oilers and I got cut at training camp, I mean, I came back for the first 10 games and I had 53 points. So, you know, it, that gave me my freedom, my play. Um, so that's kind of how it played out a little bit. I got you. When, when uh, you weren't retained by the Islanders, did so did you wind up going to Europe because – maybe you were tapped out on the North American NHL thing, or how did that come about? I was wondering if maybe you were just, um, you're like, you know, maybe I need to try somewhere else where my game will be appreciated more. I, you know, the, it was uh, with Winnipeg to finish the last, the, whatever the last 15 games or something like that of the season um, really was a great spot for me personally, because of Rick Dudley. I'd known Rick since I was, 15, 16 years old through Steve Ludzig. And, and I think, you know, Dutch was a fan of my game and liked me a lot. And obviously with a recommendation from Ludzig, um, Steve Ludzig in my first year, um, you know, he knew who I was. So that was going to be a great opportunity for me to get a chance to really showcase what I can do and have somebody in my corner in, in the management side. And at the end of the season, I, nobody, I didn't see it coming. I guess I wasn't privy to the, to the info, but I had no idea the team was being sold and team got sold and went to Winnipeg and then they fired everybody in the staff. And, you know, the first meeting with my agent at the time and, and the new general manager was, well, we want, we want Rob to take a two way. And right for me, it was kind of writing on the wall that I would be starting in the minors. And just speaking, honestly, I'd just done three years in the minors, finally got to the NHL and, for my last year in the minors, I, I hated it. You know, I couldn't do it. It was mentally tough on me. It, it, it was a grind riding the bus three and three. You're playing, you know, 16 games in 29 nights, eating whatever, you know, the, the minors is the minors. It's tough. I couldn't imagine going back down that road. So I, I kind of was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'll go to Europe and prove, you know, I've seen guys go to Europe and prove their game on a different scale and, and kind of get a chance to come back. So 
that was more of the mentality. And I picked Sweden. I had, couple, I had a bunch of offers in KHL and Sweden. I thought that Sweden was the best league, in my opinion, to, to kind of go. And everybody was kind of the knack was talking about my skating. So if I could go there and play good hockey with that, you know, that's one of the strongest skating leagues in the world, then I think that would speak for itself. And, and I did that. I had a very good year playing for Alf Samuelson. And uh, Marcus Naslin and Peter Forsberg were the general manager and assistant general manager. So it was a good, good setting for me to go to. And had a good year, played really well. And, and it just, the next year was uh, the lockout. And then once the lockout came, it was, I had no chance of getting back. I came back for one year in Portland. I got that opportunity. I went down, I was living in Florida and David Bowen was in Florida for the Panthers. He signed a big ticket there, playing with him in London. And I, I would, nobody would give me an opportunity. So I, I just said to Bowles, I'm like, Bowles, I'm, I didn't even ask him. I'm like, Bowles, I'm coming to skate with you guys before camp. Because everybody does that two weeks before camp, they get together and skate. And I said, I'm coming. He's like, yeah, sure. So I went there and was out on the scrimmages and was doing really well. I, I drove every morning at five o'clock in the morning to get over there by seven. So I can go on the ice with Robert Luongo for goalie practices. And then I would stay out for the team skate. And then Dale Talon was in a meeting. It was like, basically, he's like, who the hell is this guy? And how is he the, the, one of the best players out in these scrimmages? He's not even under our contract. So kind of opened the door through that. And then I, I was, I was hoping for an NHL opportunity to like go to training camp, but it didn't work out. Their contracts didn't work out, I guess. So I just took a job down in the Portland pirates and, and try to climb up and yeah, it didn't work. It's tough. It's so hard to get back. I, I produced made the all-star game and all that stuff. So um, yeah, the NHL dream was over and went back to Europe. Has your role now, you know, as a skills coach and working personally, has it enhanced your, or maybe you've refound the love for the game? Or could you say even through the challenges that you never stopped loving the game, that, that, that you know, you was, are you really happy uh, as ever doing this? And also the second part of my question is, you know, would you connect? You have so many contacts around the league that maybe there is uh, coaching opportunities for you if you'd be interested in, in going on that carousel. Yeah, you know, I, I was definitely very, really upset with the game at the end. Um, had a tough ending to it and took a minute to get away from it for a while, for about a year and a half. And then I realized, you know, I do, I'm, I love the game. And if, I just tried to find a role that I didn't have to deal with all this, stuff, all the other stuff, the political side of it. Uh, I just had enough of it. You know, I did enough of like defending myself through, you know, 15 years of pro and like just, I want to do something okay win the game my, my wife was kind of like i'm tired of listening to you talk about hockey go do something with hockey you know what I mean? i'm talking mm -hmm. to her about like this stuff so we found this lane and working with players mentoring them through you know doing their video work and then when i can get on the ice with them and it just it allows me to just stay the pure support of the game and, and give back to the these players what i can and not again there's no i don't have to you know defend it by any means or have to worry about too much because I know what I know about the game and, and giving it again into this individual side and then watching the player implement it and watching it work. And then when the player called, Oh my, I did this and it worked. I'm like, you know, you know what I mean? It's not, it feels good. And it's also, it's just pure. It's, it's, it's purest way of doing it. So I would love to coach. I really would. I, I love that. I love strategy. I love coming up with game plans, breaking down other teams and finding their weaknesses and then and that stuff and, and getting a chance to play for Dal Hunter, who's one of the best coaches to ever coach in the Ontario Hockey League. I know he's he owns that team and if he really wanted to, he he did it for half a year in Washington 
but he saw what it, you know what it takes to coach at that level. I think it was better for him. In, in London, it's about development. You get these kids 16 to 20. He owns the team. It's just the best setting in the world, but he's one of the best to do it. I learned so much from him uh, as far as from the coach side too. Sometimes because I was sitting on the bench, so I got a lot of time to watch what he was doing. So, so no, but honestly, the way that he used to play with tactics and change up lineups on the like in the game, you know, some coaches do it just for like reactionary. Dale did it because he understood the game and understood the tempo of the game, what the game needed. And when he would make a change or make a correction, it usually paid off like right away. And you're like, for me, at least I'm very observant. I'd be like, man, that's that's pretty sick. He didn't just change that line just to be, you know, a hardo or whatever. He literally saw what it, the game needed. And, you know, sometimes it would be like putting Prust up on a skilled line. Presty would go out and forecheck and crash and bang somebody. Next, you know, the skill guy gets the puck, does what they do. So those little th- tangibles and playoff series is Dale was one of the best at preparing and picking apart the other team, their weaknesses, and then going out and br- putting a game plan together to attack that. So learn from that side of it. I, again, I would love to do it. It's just a matter of you said it. I don't, I don't know about the carousel product part of it. I'm not looking. I've spent enough time kind of, battling for my name i don't, I don't really want to i don't want to <laughs> no, no, I totally understand. You know? I, but i've seen your video work and like i know everybody who sees it on twitter and perhaps you have it in other places too always comes away learning something and i feel very confident that if it's something you decide to stay with whether you're doing it at times for fun or also to you know build a, a platform too that there's a there's going we the, the nhl continues many teams to unlock the potential of high skilled players and we have specialists the owners have at least two goalie coaches just at the nhl level plus their coaches in the in the minor so like you know a skill i, I get it some teams have they might even call them skill coach uh, skating uh, bernie was in bridgeport for a long time but you know there there is it's not just a niche but a specific role there and uh, if it's something that you're interested in, I really feel strongly that that you should pursue it. And, and while you're doing all these other things that do well and, and make you happy. So I hope so. I wanted to ask you just one last one about Long Island. Forget the hockey, forget everything else, but just your two years or so on Long Island, your memories of, you know, the restaurants, the places, the friends. Uh, the experience there because and this came up again also on twitter when some fan wrote some dopey thing and you you made a mark here you were remembered here it is very much appreciated uh but what do you think about your time off the ice on home now yeah it was it was awesome i really enjoyed it it felt really comfortable there the fans were awesome uh we had you know there's i can't remember the name i feel back so i wish i could give it a plug there was a, a, an italian place that's over by the mall Vincent's. It's so long. Vincent's. Vincent's. It comes up regularly on the show with the players yeah. before and after you. <laughs> yeah, so we used to, I mean, I used to love those pregame meals and the conversations with the fellows there and the, and the staff that was there, how they looked after us. Like, that was a great experience and it gave a great vibe to it. Uh, we lived in, um, I think it was, I don't want to say Woods, Woodbridge. It's the part of it's right, uh, right, very close to the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, I think it was like eight or nine of us that lived in there. So we had a really close group, you know, and every, we did everything together, rode to the rink together, rode to the airport together. We played, you know, kind of 
I'm not a huge gamer, so hopefully people don't think that, but we did, we did get into Call of Duty as a big group. We were all playing and got intense with that for like three months. So, you know, guys like Grabner and um, Bailey, all these guys, we were all in there as a young group and it was awesome. You know, it really was. The only thing that I wish personally, I'm competitive is how I wish we had better, better results. You know, we didn't, we weren't winning much and that's, that's the frustrating part, knowing what that city was capable of as far as the fan base getting behind it and what they had in the 80s. Um, that would have been nice to have a piece of, of winning there. And that's that's one regret. I wish it was more of that, you know, bigger, bigger crowds, more success on the ice. Um, it would have been nice because that's you know, thing me coming from London, having that fan base and that success rate. It was it was sick. Right. And knowing what the Islanders did in their history. I would, it would have been fun to kind of rejuvenate that there in the city. But, you know, we, we did have what we had. We had guys, Bruno, like I said, Bruno wasn't just saying it because he made a nice compliment, but we had, he was there with Mel. We all hung out. It was like a, such a tight knit family group. Uh, it was a really awesome and I enjoyed every minute of it. So I appreciate the fans and, and the support that they gave. And uh, I wish we could have gave you more wins. Uh, thanks. Thank you for saying that. And thanks. Thanks for doing this, Rob. Uh, my thanks to Rob Shrimp. Thanks. Thanks so much doing this from and uh, special, special thanks to lou pellegrino for producing and engineering and thanks to all of you for listening to islanders for check